Our reading this evening is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have been a fool, Paul says as he wraps things up, this second to last chapter of 2 Corinthians. I've been a fool, but you made me do it, he says to the Corinthians. You made me do it because you were listening to the boasts of those false teachers, those super apostles who think themselves to be something when they are in fact really less than nothing. You made me boast, Paul says. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have had to do this. You should have been the ones commending me. You should have been the ones saying that I'm a true apostle. After all, Paul reminds them, you saw the signs that I did when I was with you. The apostolic age, the time of Paul and the other apostles, was marked by this, that their ministry was confirmed with signs. God worked wonders and miracles at the hands of Paul to show the people of Corinth that he was a true apostle and they believed him. And so they were the ones who should have been commending him. And yet here he is, boasting, seeming to defend himself. You made me do it. But remember, of course, what Paul's boast is. If anyone's going to boast, let him boast in the Lord. Paul says, I will boast only in this, in my weakness, in my sufferings, in my afflictions, in my imprisonment, in my danger, in my anxiety for you. That's what I'll boast in. They might boast, those super apostles, they might boast in how successful they seem to be, how rich they are, how polished and smooth they are, how well-spoken. They may boast in those things, but that doesn't count for anything in the end. What matters is the cross of Jesus. Paul had said this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. He said, 
I have resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So if anyone's going to boast, if any apostle is going to boast, he needs to boast in this, in the suffering of the cross that leads to glory and life. That's where my boast lies. Now Paul is wrapping things up, and in some ways he's kind of indulging the Corinthians. Maybe you can hear a bit of his sarcasm. He says, oh, oh, maybe it was because I didn't cost you anything when I was with you because I worked with my own two hands that I didn't burden you. I'm so sorry that I didn't burden you. Please forgive me for not being like that. He's sarcastic all along the way. And the picture in my head is like when a kid comes home from visiting with his friends and he finds out that one of his friends has a dad who is much more lenient than his own dad. Oh, dad, my friend, my friend gets to have candy for supper every night of the week. His dad lets him have candy all the time. The kid comes home and says, the dad indulges in a bit of foolishness. Oh, wow. That father, he's a great father. He must really love his son to let him have whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Oh, wow, he must be a great dad. He must be a really rich dad, too. He must have set aside lots of money to pay for new teeth and for insulin when all of that candy finally comes home to roost. What a dad. He must really love his son. I'm not that good of a dad, am I? I've only saved up for your education. I've only put healthy food on the table. I've only made sure that you were disciplined properly. What am I? I'm not that good of a dad, am I, son? What do I have to offer to you? I'm just going to boast about this, I guess, that I was just doing my job, doing the things that I was supposed to do. That's what Paul is about today. Here they are talking about how much they love these detractors, these Corinthians. They're talking about these super apostles, but they're really ridiculous. And Paul plays along for a moment, for a bit. Oh, if only I could be more like them. But now, as things come to a conclusion, he turns to his son and says, that's enough of that. If I hear another word about having candy at every dinner, I'm going to know that we need to deal with some more basic things. You know better than that. You know better than to believe these super apostles who've been coming to you with another gospel, with another Christ, with another message, who have been saying that I am just trying to take advantage of you? How have I tried to take advantage of you, Paul says. Look at me. I love you. And I am willing to be spent for you. The signs should have been enough. God confirmed Paul's apostleship when he was with the Corinthians. But if that were not enough, he says, look at my love for you. I am willing to be spent for you. And there he is using the same language that is used to describe Jesus on the cross, who spends his own blood to cover the sins of the world. Test my sincerity, Paul says. That's where you can see who's authentic and who's not. Do my words have meaning? Do they have a quality of integrity? Can you tell that I'm not gaining anything out of this except for you? I don't want your stuff. I don't want your gifts. I don't want your praise and your acclaim. I want you, Paul says, I want you to live eternally. I'm willing to be spent for you, whatever it costs. That's what I will give. Believe this, Paul says. Believe my love for you, my sacrifice for you, my sleepless nights. Believe my anxiety. Paul's afraid, he says. I'm afraid that when I come to visit you again, I will find that you have not matured. 
I'm afraid that when I come, I will find all of these things, these childish behaviors, this longing for candy at every dinner. I'm afraid that when I come, I'll find quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. I'm afraid you'll have believed those false apostles. And so you will have unconfessed sin and you'll be giving way to bitterness. The body of Christ not acting like the body of Christ. I'm afraid, Paul says, that when I come, I will not find you the way I want you to be And you will not find me the way you want me to be. After all, if I come and I find you that way, indulging these sins, living in this manner, I'm going to discipline you as a father disciplines his child. If I hear about this again, there's going to be some more talking that's going to have to happen. I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier. Paul's afraid that he will find all kinds of disorder in that congregation, but he knows That if he finds disorder, bitterness and quarreling and slander and gossip and conceit, if he finds that, it's a sign that sin is lurking beneath the surface. Deeper, darker, unforgiven sins. And so he will bring discipline. He'll come with a rod, he says. Not because he wants to pain them, not because he wants to see their tears, but because he wants them to be saved from their sins. This is what those false apostles fail to realize. That whatever they might be offering to the Corinthians, whatever glorious growth and splendor and all kinds of polish they might be offering to the Corinthians, they are not saving them from their sins. We have resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the key to everything. That is the measure of the gospel. That is the measure of God's word. Test every word against that. That is the measure of Paul's apostleship. It is the measure of every teacher in the church. Let that be the measure of your words in Christ, your behavior in Christ. Nothing but him and him crucified for the sins of the world. That is what we should always hold before our eyes and have on our lips to proclaim to anyone who needs to hear it. That is what we should always be speaking in our hearts to calm our fears, to send the devil to flight, to do away with the guilt and burden of a bad conscience. That is what we should always be holding on to, Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul wants for the Corinthians. They can take it or leave it. They can believe him or not. But if they reject this, they're not rejecting Paul. Although they might think that they're exchanging Paul for somebody who is more glamorous, what they are doing is they're exchanging the glory of God for sin and for death. And that would break Paul's heart. He prays that they would know that about him. I love you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? It is my obligation, he says, to save up for you. And this is what I have done. Paul is exemplary for all of us. He's exemplary for pastors. This is the measure of any pastor, to preach Christ and him crucified. Not to preach himself, not to preach glorious, splendid, earthly things, but to preach the suffering and death of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the measure of a pastor. But it is also the measure of every Christian. For you stand in front of people all of the time, your friends, your family, your neighbors, people who need to hear the gospel. This is the measure by which you should measure yourself. Do you proclaim Christ and him crucified in your life and in your words? It is the most glorious thing. Although you have to look past the wounds and the agony and the grief. You have to look past the suffering and death and you have to see Christ risen from the dead. It is the most glorious thing because it is what saves. It is what gives life. 
It's what rescues us from sin and every evil. It's what promises what nothing else in this world can promise. It's what gives a hope against all hope in the face of every despair. It is the best news there ever was. Embrace it and proclaim it loudly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.